Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, September 18, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 16th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,416, that's 19416. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,417, that's 19417. This morning, A Vision for You presents Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. The big book teaches on page 143 that to get over drinking, and for us, compulsive overeating, it will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The same person will compulsively overeat again and again and again and again. Driven and haunted by the pain of the old self, It is a short distance to the temporary relief and old solution of compulsively overeating. Once again, if nothing changes, nothing changes, and the same person will soon compulsively overeat again. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. The real advantage of these steps is that they are a specific and proven method for producing change, a transformation, a change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, and a change in the way we behave. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once guiding forces of our lives are cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions, new set of ideas, and new set of attitudes begin to dominate us. We are moved to a new state of consciousness, a new state of being. The big book speaks of a change, a transformation, stemming from access to a source of strength, a power which before we had denied ourselves. Joining us this morning to speak on this very topic are three recovered compulsive overeaters who will share their personal experience. Panelist number one is Penny L.C. from Washington. Panelist number two, Allison L. from South Carolina. And panelist number three, Barbara P. from Georgia. So let's get started right now with Penny L.C. Good morning, Penny. Thank you. Good morning, Leah, and to everyone on the line. I am Penny Elsie, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater and sponsor from Washington State. I would like to begin my share with a quote from Dr. Bob on page 178 in the big book. Quote, I was self-conscious and ill at ease most of the time. My health was at a breaking point and I was thoroughly miserable, end quote. It was like that for me and more. I played God, only turned to God in extreme situations. 
I felt I was supposed to handle things uh, otherwise and, and never felt I was doing enough to earn God's love and support. I was trying to control my environment as much as possible, insisting things happened the way I thought they should and on my timeline. I was attempting to manage and manipulate others to follow my plan. For example, my younger son was constantly playing online games and exhibited a lack of motivation. So, of course, I tried to direct his life and, of course, was unsuccessful. I managed to solicit pushback and create rebellion. I was operating from a very self-centered place, driven by my ego, driven by underlying fear and insecurity. If he would only do what I suggest. I was people-pleasing to finagle getting what I wanted, usually wanting to be seen favorably by others. With my son, I even resorted to bribery, which usually backfired. I was often targeting someone as a nemesis and directing my negativity toward them, often running them down to others simply to make my righteous self look superior. Again, I am regretful to say that the ne- that um, my nemesis in my own home was my younger son, and I was always speaking negatively about him to my husband while trying to get my husband to take my side. I was pointing out problems outside of myself to deflect from my own shortcomings, being critical of others. The comments I made to my son that were to help motivate him likely only served to diminish his self-esteem. Usually, I was turning to food for comfort, solace, and escape from the reality I had created. I was often pushing my weight around with my sons and, quite frankly, my husband. I was the mother and wife from hell. I was isolating more and more and increasingly miserable. I was shutting out others, including my family and especially God, as I felt so poorly about myself. Food, even in unlimited amounts, became not enough. What happened? I got to the point of desperation, living in the chaos and crisis I had created, and became willing to go to any length for a change. After working the program with only half measures, I knew it was going to take more to be able to find a way out from the pit I was in, a pit that I had dug for myself. My disease had progressed and every aspect of my life became out of control. My abstinence was restarted with a renewed commitment driven by desperation and misery. After beginning the program anew, I committed to working the program like my life depended on it because it did. I struggled at first with my egocentric thoughts and behaviors, still wanting the process to work on my terms. As I restarted the step work in earnest, I started to see in step one where I needed to surrender and accept that I was not in charge. Instead, see that I was absolutely powerless and there was no doubt that my life was unmanageable by me. 
in step two, I found I needed to redefine my concept of a higher power, which had been one of a judgmental, critical God that I could only go to if I had my act together, which was rarely, if ever. I appreciated that the big book's instructions gave me the freedom to choose a higher power of my own conception. Then once I had a higher power that had the attributes I needed, including being supporting, caring, forgiving, and providing unconditional love, then I felt I could connect with this power and felt I could comfortably develop a relationship of trust and reliance. In step three, I had a higher power I was able to give my will and my life over to. Having processed through steps one through three, I began step four. The work was a continuation of humbling my ego and seeing how I had been operating from a place of self-centered fear, trying manically to assert myself. In step five, sharing my truth with another person and not being shunned gave me some assurance that I could be accepted as I was, even in all of my brokenness. In step six, looking at my character defects, especially of trying to control, manage, and manipulate others, let me realize that I was no better and no worse than anyone else. In step seven, turning my character defects over to my higher power gave me some greater acceptance of myself. In step eight, making amends with a chance to give my fears that I learned earlier in step four over to the God of my understanding and persevere, knowing there was freedom available to me by offering my regrets to those I had harmed. The blessing of step nine was being freed from the shame and guilt of my past mistakes. I could walk a bit taller with my head up, yet always focusing on the humility cultivated through the journey of the action steps four through nine. Now it was time to follow the process of living in recovery on a daily basis, working to maintain all I had gained. What it's like today. In the unsettledness of life, I have been able to maintain my sanity and my serenity, however not perfectly. With some lapses, this is where step 10 comes in. Anytime I am um, troubled by an ongoing disturbance, I reach for the phone. Yet even those lapses have served to remind me that I am powerless and that I need to keep my focus on relying on my higher power. Today I have a new perspective that no matter what challenges, difficulties, and hardships come up, there will always be a way through them, so long as I continue to seek guidance and trust where my higher power leads me. The 12-step recovery process has pointed me toward 12 principles as I strive to live by them one day at a time. In correlation to the steps, Those principles are honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, love, perseverance, 
spiritual awareness and service. My higher power has led me to move from being from excuse me from living in the bedevilments on page 52 in the big book to living in the ninth step promises pages 83 and 84. As well, more promises have come true for me, including those on page 68 for the fourth step. Quote, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. Today, whatever the disaster or struggle, be it the pandemic, my spouse's cancer last year, um, or currently having a very having very minimal contact with my younger son for the last nine months by his choice. Turning to higher power provides clarity of thought and action. And those promises on page 8485, we have ceased fighting. Sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor or for me, compulsive overeating. We react sanely and normally. We have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Yes, I get to live in those promises today. Yet then in the big book comes the warning. That, quote, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition, end quote. Herein lies the need for step 11 to stay closely connected with my higher power, first thing in the morning, throughout the day, and in the evening, particularly with my nightly review. Today I know that the powerful key to maintaining my spiritual fitness is step 12, working with others and being of service in all areas of my life. This focus includes rebuilding a relationship with my son and understanding that his trust in me will need to be earned over time and right now allowing him the dignity of his choice to be separate from me. I am able to be in acceptance of what is, simply turning him over to his higher power and trusting. I was inspired this morning to share um, a writing that I had uh, done a few days back um, Nightly, I write a, a letter to my higher power, which I refer to as God. And uh, so the letter, it reads shortly, um, Dear God, the spiritual, excuse me, the serenity prayer has blessed my life by being my go-to prayer when stress arises, unfolds, or especially if it explodes. It reminds me that my acceptance is my solution. Saying this prayer helps to facilitate taking a pause. If necessary, in the heat of the moment, I have just said, God grant me, God grant me, God grant me, and I know you know what I mean. This prayer being, brings me back to center and allows me to reset back to balance. God, when I say the serenity prayer, I feel the power of taking the action to talk to you. It stimulates my awareness that I am not alone. 
I feel the reconnection with you and the refocus of receiving your direction. God, you know my historical obsession with trying to control people and circumstances. When I say the serenity prayer and ask for the acceptance, courage, and wisdom, I am able to find my way to what you would have me be and let go of trying to change anyone or anything except myself. Thank you, God, for the gift of the serenity prayer. With love, Penny. And with that, I will say thank you for letting me share, and I will pass. Thank you, Penny Elsie, for your beautiful share this morning. And I now welcome panelist number two, Allison L. Good morning. This is Allison L. in South Carolina. Thank you for asking me to be here today. I'm grateful for an opportunity to share experience, strength, and hope and express um, how living according to God's power, love, and way of life has just completely changed my attitude, my personality, my behaviors, and my ability to uh, relate to other human beings in this lifetime. Um, Just to qualify, I have been in OA for nine years, and six years of those, the last six years, I've been in recovery, meaning I'm not eating compulsively. I'm not eating my binge, red, trigger, whatever you want to call them, foods. And uh, the part that makes me um, recovered is I'm doing so happily, contentedly. There's not days when um, I'm fighting it. Um, The food for me is in its, its place. Um, it keeps me going. It's my fuel and, um, my weight, um, has been down and I've been maintaining that. Um, I'm, I'm down about 70 pounds from my top weight as far as what I ever saw on the scale. I'm sure it went higher, but, um, and I've been maintaining that for six years. I've had just one size in my closet. Gradually it's, you know, shifted downward, but I can go into my closet and put on anything I want. So those are some of the physical, um, benefits that I've received from recovery. As far as my personality and what used to, what I used to be like, um, what used to dominate me um, was this idea that if I wanted something, I could make it happen and I had to make it happen. It was all on me to make it happen. I was basically the actor trying to run the whole show on page 60. So I have to be convinced that a life run on self-will cannot be a success. On the basis of self-will, I'm always in collision with something or somebody. My motives may be good. My motives were good. I wanted to live a good life. Um, But I was trying to live by self-propulsion. So, um, and what usually happens when we live that way? Uh, The show doesn't come off very well, page 61. And when the show doesn't come off well, I think life doesn't treat me well, and I decide to exert myself more. That's the precursor to step three, needing to take step three. And um, I want to focus on just one particular life situation that is a demonstration of that and then compare it to um, a life situation that occurred in recovery and the differences in uh, my approach and my personality, my beliefs, and my behavior. Um, the, The old situation I want to discusses um, when I was 21, just out of college, um, no recovery in sight. I'm 42 now, so this was well before I came to OA. Um, I decided that I was going to marry a man I'd been dating 
for eight months. And so being the actor running the show, I told him we needed to get married. I told him it would be easier. He could be covered under my insurance. I selfishly, I wanted to get married before my grandma died. I wanted her to see my wedding and we were probably going to get married someday. Anyway, let's just do it now. And so, you know, I told him there was no proposal. There was no ring. There was, hey, this is a decision I'm making and this is, I'm going to arrange everything to make it happen. So I sat my family down and said, I'm getting married in 10 days, make it happen. And God bless my family, they did. But those relationships suffered. They couldn't come to me. They couldn't bring concerns. They couldn't talk to me. Um, there was no um, <laughs> there was no two-way street there. That was just Allison running the show and everybody better get out of my way. And through step four, when I came into program, what I saw through all of that was that it was all, all the character defects I, I demonstrated were based on fear. Um, I was afraid my grandmother would die. I was afraid to lose the man that I was dating. So um, I was afraid of financial insecurity, all those things. So I pushed my will and my way. And the show didn't come off well. We ended up divorced four years later. And I was in the midst of my um, my disease even more because it progressed. My disease got worse and worse. And so, you know, I decided to exert myself more, as it says on page 61. That's what happens when I'm running on self-will. And um, so I exert myself more. I fought back. You know, I hired an attorney to say I didn't owe his mom money that I did owe her. I, you know, I I tried to get what everything I could out of the divorce. I lied to him. I lied to his mother. Um, it was, I was not um, the kind of person that I wanted to be deep down that, my higher power now allows me to live out. Um, I don't know what the opposite of humility is. I can't think of a word, but I was the opposite of humility. To admit that I was wrong or had made mistakes did not happen at that time. So then to compare that to what happened through working steps, step four, seeing that I was being driven by fear, that all of these things were driven by fear, that I was terrified of admitting I was wrong. I was terrified of having to pay back the money that I owed. I was terrified of telling my current husband, my second husband, hey, I lied and I do owe, I know we hired an attorney and fought against this, but I do owe her that money and I have to pay it. Um, and to let go of running that show and admit those things, um, you know, page 68, um says when I'm running on fear, I'm just gonna go to it. I am I'm cocky and I'm indignant and uh that just made everything worse. And so through step four, facing that fear, admitting it in step five to another person, uh was huge for me to say to another person the truth about where I had been wrong, things that I had done, um that allowed me to let down that guard and then to move on to, to think about admitting those things to the actual people I had done them to, to my husband, my ex-husband, um, to pay back the money that I owed. Um, you know, that was a complete shift in my ideas about life. I was no longer able to think that I could make things happen. I could no longer convince myself that I was right all the time. It just did not work for me. If I wanted a life where I wasn't suffering just a little bit less, but I wanted true recovery, true freedom, then these were the things that were required of me. Um, and so I, I did begin to make that amends. Um, I mean, to go from 
the person who was willing to, to hire an attorney and fight and say, I don't owe this money, um, to a person who humbly said to my current husband, I do owe this money. And then to be willing to admit it to a sponsor and to be willing to write a check for my, my checking account <laughs> that I, you know, made a little bit of money because I didn't work at the time. I made a little bit of money from a hobby. I didn't want to have to use my husband's income to pay back something that was, you know, my responsibility. And so I had to trust that the money would be there, that I was the actor and my job was to write the check and that the higher power would make sure I had what I needed to move along. That is my dog barking in the background. He's not happy to be separated from me right now, but just to let you know. And so I wrote the check and I sent it. And when she cashed that first check, um, the feeling that came over me was a freedom I had never experienced in my whole life. And I thought, I, I can live this way. I really can. It was something that had to be experienced um, to really believe that a higher power was taking care of me in that way and would continue to. Um, and so then taking that and now in recovery, you know, obviously I make decisions in my life all the time. And so how do I rely on a higher power now to do that versus when I just kind of said, this is what I want, I'm going to make it happen. You know, um, a couple years ago, we started to decide, I started to get this idea is how I'll, how I'll say it. I started to get this idea that perhaps we should move from where we were. And I had, you know, reasons, logical reasons, um, but I did not want to force a decision uh, on my will. And so I was very slow and cautious about it. I started by simply sharing with fellows that I trusted these ideas I was having. And then they were able to confirm for me what they were hearing and, and you know, reflect that back to me. Step five, I take it to another human being. I prayed, of course, on it. And so they were able to reflect back to me and, and I was able to hear more clearly what God was saying. And then from there, I was able to take it to my husband and say, I'm having these ideas. And I was, of course, when I want something, I want it now. So if I was thinking we should move, I wanted to move now. And it was a very long process of, you know, months of uh, gradually progressing and, and seeing God unfold different parts of the decision that needed to be made. And my husband going from absolutely not, you're, you're losing your mind to, you know, we're not moving to now we've moved 900 miles away from where we were initially and everything worked out along the way. Um, you know, there were a lot of fears and I had to take them through the exact same process. Step four, taking a look at my fears of financial insecurity. Once again, would my husband have a job? You know, would we have family to rely upon? What would we do? How would we make it? Um, so taking those through step four and five brought me to the place where I, I once again came back to, okay, if I'm trusting and relying on a power greater than myself, then I can do this next right thing, whatever it might be, and make that decision. And so that's what we did all along the way. That's what I did all along the way. And I didn't have to make anything happen. You know, in that moving process, all kinds of things, you know, went seemingly, quote, wrong from how I thought they would pan out. We had a house lined up to move into. And when I was driving down here, literally moving from Ohio to South Carolina, I was almost to Tennessee when I got a call that that house fell through. So we had nowhere to live, a family of five plus a dog, nowhere to live. We had a hotel lined up for 10 days and that was it. Um, and, and 
yes, there was fear within me, but I went straight to, okay, God, this is, this is um, in your hands now. And so I'm going to trust and rely on God. And what would God have me be? Well, I'll show up. I'll do the next right thing. I'm going to keep driving. I'm going to contact my realtor. I'm going to contact my husband and, and we'll figure it out. Um, we'll see what God has lined up. And, and God did have it all lined up. You know, we found an Airbnb. We stayed there until we found another house. And the house that we ended up in, so much better than that first house. Meets our needs so much better. Um, clearly, there was a higher power that was guiding that process. I have to believe that because if I had been running the show, we would have moved sooner. We would have moved to a different location. And we would not be in this wonderful position that we are in now where my kids are in a school that's amazing for them that has changed their lives um, we are finding community here and i'm just kind of along for the ride it's not been easy um, but i keep going back through the process of, of all the steps and when i went through them the very first time what i was learning was a process for living my life what do i do with my resentments and fears what do i do with my character defects who do i take them to how do i trust and rely upon god what do I do when it feels so uncomfortable and painful to do that? Um, and I just keep doing that over and over and over again. So I am a completely different person as far as how I respond to life, how I, um, how I address my relationships, how I uh, pause and listen versus acting. And um, I, I try to work more towards the ideal of humility um, and admitting and keeping my, setting aside what I think I know, um, to be open to what God wants uh, to show me and what uh, valuable information others may also hear and have for me and so that I can hear it. And I'm willing to apologize and make amends. Um, I remember that feeling of my ex-mother-in-law cashing that first check and I want to continue living with that feeling of, ah, okay, I'm free. There's nothing. I'm hanging over anyone and nothing's hanging over me. I can show up anywhere and look people in the eye and um, know that I'm, I'm doing my best today, truly. So I'm going to pass with that. Thank you so much. Grateful to be here. Thank you, Allison, for your profound share. Thank you so much. Now I welcome panelist number three, Barbara P., Good morning, everybody. Barbara P., compulsive overeater from the Atlanta area. And, oh, you know, as I've listened to the two speakers, so much additional has crossed my mind. Um, but one thing that really stands out to me is, I guess I'm a very practical person. And my question is always, well, how did you do this? Everybody sounds so great on this line. This was my, my thinking. Everybody sounds so great on this line. I don't get it. And I didn't, I certainly didn't feel that way. I don't feel that way on a lot of days. So my first question is how, how'd you get that? Would you sound so changed? Because the topic is so profound. Yeah. So nothing changes unless, you know, if nothing changes. So how do I do this? So, you know, what I have to say right up front is I didn't change anything. I couldn't change anything. I wanted a lot of things to change about me and my life, but I couldn't change anything. But I think Allison just said it. I showed up. It's what she's doing today. Even in the beginning, I showed up and began to follow directions, and everything changed. 
I mean, it is literally that simple. I can't tell you that I did a whole lot other than follow directions. And so I want to just talk a little bit about that. It started to me, it starts on page 25. Um, and I do want to reference the big book because there's some really profound things that tell me as I was thinking about the topic about where I started and, and where I still start on a lot of given days. One is the very bottom of, of 25, and this is truly what got me to OA was, you know, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible and if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, which I don't know if it was through human aid, but I, I had a feeling there was no return, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. Well, that was my door number one. I could just keep going as it was. Or door number two, the other to accept spiritual help. Four words, right? It had all this flowery language and then four words to accept spiritual help. When I came in, I was not about to accept spiritual help, honestly, but I did accept OA. And I jumped in with two feet and I followed a lot of directions, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've never stopped. Um, people tell me, my old group, they were pretty, they were pretty tough. And uh, and and they told me they used to call me the ice princess because I was I was so disconnected I was so closed off is the only way I can describe it but I showed up I kept coming to OA and I did try and follow the steps as best I could as best we knew back then um, I will tell you about and I did that and I tried to resist a spiritual solution. I really did. I think I consciously consciously said, well, I'm going to do this OA thing, but I'm pretty sure I can do it without a spiritual piece. I like the emotional. I like the physical. We used to talk about a three-legged stool. I like those. I'm going to do those. The spiritual, I'll just hover around and I don't know. I can, I can say the words and maybe it'll come, right? <clears throat> so I did. I did. And a couple of years later, like maybe 28 years later, I'm a pretty slow learner. Um, what I want to say is I things shifted because what I found was I had a lot of good abstinence. I was doing okay at times, at times, right? <clears throat> but as it says, and this is the very bottom of page 50 onto 51, and this may be where you find yourself today. Life's not so bad. I mean, life got better in a way. <clears throat> but it says, once confused, the very, very bottom last word on page 50, but once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life, leaving aside the drink question, like leaving aside eating and the, the food problem. They tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Like, that's where I was finding myself, even in a way, life was very unsatisfactory. And that's just where I was. And coming to, I don't know, I will say vision and just doing things a little differently, a little more simply, and the fifth step really opened my eyes to some truths that freed me. Now, Allison talked about freedom, and um, Penny did too, and really this is about freedom. And those truths in the fifth step totally opened my eyes. So like, for example, my dad, my dad was a very critical parent, right? And and just so I grew up with a lot of that criticism, a lot of quiet rage, just things that formed me quite a bit. 
And boy, I had a lot of resentment about my dad and my mom, the way she reacted to the whole situation and on and on. And and the truth of it was, yeah, it made me into someone who was self-critical, critical of others, um, just, just not nice, so full of fear of even trying anything, doing anything. It really, it did shape me in a lot of ways and caused some things that really made life difficult. At some point in the fifth step, so the fourth, I talked about this man who ruined my life, you know, and there was some truth to him shaping my life. As I looked at the truth of it, what I could begin to see was a man who was full of fear himself, who had been deeply hurt who was overwhelmed with life. It didn't change any of his behaviors or or what it did in my life, but it did cause me to see him slightly differently. And then I don't know why, so one night I was thinking about him and I was thinking about Seinfeld. If you're a Seinfeld fan and you know George's father, George's father's always raging and full of anger and, oh, he's mad and critical and just going on and he goes on loudly, Right. And he always made me laugh. I thought it was one of the funniest characters. And I thought, you know, that was my dad. He did it in a quiet way. But as much as I love George's father, why couldn't I love my father for just being who he was? It was his personality. It was what what he, what he was. It became, you know, I talk about like being so disconnected. All of a sudden, what I realized, I was so connected to some un- unhealthy ideas. I could disconnect from that what it did to me and see him really see him see someone other than myself um similarly my sister right and my sister is coming actually this week i have some fear about it um my mom just uh became just went into hospice in my home it's a really hard time actually in my life i will say it's a it's it's a trying time and But my sister, I mean, when I did my fifth step, we were doing a monthly phone call that I dreaded. It took me a week to gear up to having this call with her because I just had so much anger and I just didn't like her. I just couldn't figure her out and I don't know. Anyway, and then a week after the call, I'd be thinking about the call and sometimes talking to others about the call. I stopped that, but, but it really was difficult, difficult situation. And all of a sudden, through a couple of things that were recommended through the fifth step, one was to make a list, a gratitude list of of things about her. Now, it was a very short list initially, but things that I could see in her. And she's a great mom. She's got a lot of things that she does in her life, nothing related to me and to our relationship. Um, The other thing I did is we started to do a more frequent call, but on that call, I I had to, she had no idea I was doing this, She, I had to focus on those things that had been on that gratitude list. I had to look for when she talked about her daughter. So this woman who went from annoying me greatly uh, went to someone I could see as a loving person. And... You know, knowing that I couldn't meet the need, I couldn't be the sister she wanted. There were a lot of things. I'm not talking about developing a great relationship with her. I'm just talking about not dreading a phone call with her and actually appreciating some things about her. As she comes in this week, I'm going to practice a lot of that. I've got to go back to that list. The other thing is I've got to know this is not about me. She needs to come in and work on her relationship with my mom. 
and they may need to do that in you know in a way that again I don't want to stop I don't want to stop that process I could easily try to do that because it it makes me uncomfortable well I, I'm not intending to do that so I can just offer kindness and love and I can do a lot of 10 steps and I can try and practice gratitude. I have tools of my own to go off on my own and take care of myself. My other sister, Karen, she died about a month and a half ago. As you can see, it's not been the best um, couple of months. It's been a really difficult time. And, you know, but right before she died, she said, you know, Barb, she said, I wish I had your program. She had she had needed a program and never never gotten one, and she died very, very angry. She said, you are able to accept people where they are instead of being angry at them about who they are. And, you know, I will tell you all, this is totally these steps. This is totally this program, and this is not who I was. I, I know that. I don't know how it happened, other than I work the steps and follow the directions. I think that's why I go back to that practical approach. Just follow the steps, even though it seems unbelievable. I could probably sit in therapy, and I'm a big proponent of, of professional services. <clears throat> I use them. But the reality is, I still don't know that that would have changed me in the way that this program did. I mean, it is so profound in my life. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know how. When my sister said that, I thought, really? I'm doing that? And I thought, yeah, I, I guess in some ways I am. Not in the immediate. Don't get me wrong. I still get annoyed. I still act badly a lot of times. And and then, I <clears throat> again, I have a process. Excuse me, one minute. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> somewhere in the midst of all this death that's happening around me, I also got COVID, so... I'm done with that, but I still have a little bit of voice issue. So, <clears throat> so, so what I want to do is talk about, I mean, the changes have happened to my thinking. We just work these steps. It is all there. And it will happen. There, it's a guarantee. But there are certain simple things that I had to do. And um, and they weren't, in the, in hindsight, that hard considering what happened. You know, when I think, oh, I don't want to do this. This is not convenient. I have other things that I'd rather do. Yeah, a lot of times there's other things I'd rather do. But the reality is, convenience aside, I, I wouldn't want to live any other way. So I just want to do two other small quotes. Page 83, um, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And I told you, I did not want a spiritual life. This is not what I came in for. So this has always been kind of baffling to me, and it's in italics, so I know it's important. We have to live it. I was thinking about that. And, you know, I guess I live it today in this same way of just looking at this mess in my life um, and working to know there's a bigger picture. One of the most beautiful metaphors I had ever heard, and and it's been used a lot, but life is like, you know, viewing a tapestry. And I, and I love tapestries. I mean, I'm amazed by the stories they tell. But if you ever see the backside of the tapestry, I mean, it is one jumbled mess. And nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. You would not see a picture. You'd see a bunch of strings and think, who made this mess? This is just horrible. 
Well, that's what my life, especially this summer, has looked like. It looks like a jumbled mess to me. None of it makes sense. You know, my sister was too young. My mom, just the whole thing is, is, and I have to know there's a bigger picture. And that to me is living a spiritual life. That to me is a prayer. Every time I say, Penny mentioned her prayer, and I'll just mention mine. Every time I say to my higher power, show me, just show me. I have no clue. I don't like this. Just show me. Help, and then my prayer is always help me choose love and be love. Like anything that is not loving is probably not of a spiritual nature. And that's sometimes my only way of living in a spiritual nature. Let me just choose love. And then the last thing I want to say is just what the biggest gift of this program has been to me. Like the biggest gift, so many good things, right? You know, so much, so much freedom. I'm not saying life doesn't happen. I've told you what my summer looked like. But the biggest gift, at least this morning when I was thinking about this, probably it'll change tomorrow. But I don't know. This has been this way for a while. I feel like I'm building up to it, right? Keeping you in suspense. All right, I'll stop. Page 75. And it's the fifth step promises. And it's the last line of those promises right in the middle We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And I can't tell you, even thinking about it right now, it just makes me emotional because when I feel my most alone, my most hurt, when I I don't feel like my world, my tapestry, my backside of my tapestry is, is working in any which way, I can still picture myself hand in hand. You know, I picture like a child hand in hand with a parent, you know, that they're being held, they're okay, they're taken care of. And I think that's the biggest transformation that has happened in my life. Regardless of this mess around me, I feel taken care of. I don't have to like the mess. I don't have to agree with the mess. But I can go along. I can cooperate, as one of my favorite OAs says to me. Just cooperate, right? And I can cooperate today. And uh, that's a gift. That's been a gift that's been given to me by just simply following directions. So uh, with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Barbara, for your beautiful share this morning. Thank you to all three panelists for illuminating your personal experience with the application of the step process and the results. Thank you for your compelling shares this morning. The share ID for today is 19420. That's 19,420. Transition to a question answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star one to unmute, and questions only, please, and you could specify which panelists you'd like to respond. Who has a question this morning? Meredith B. Meredith. Star one to unmute. Diane G from Canada. Diane G. 
great opportunity to ask questions related to the steps and what was shared. Diane Y. from Texas. Diane. Okay, well, let's get started with the questions. Thank you. I have Meredith B., Diane G., and Diane Y. Meredith B., go ahead with your question, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Penny, I had the same, I'm going through the same thing with my son, and I'm seeing, um, well, anyway, I just, I just wanted to hear about your amends to him, how, if you could share on that, how that, what that looked like a little bit. Thank you for the question. Um, I, have of course made a direct amends to him um, this was some years back but more so than that um, it's really the living amends you know it's being able to accept him as he is love him where he is and just trust that God is going to mend the relationship over time which has happened that young man is, um, and he is a young man now. He's um, he's amazing as an individual, and I and I do appreciate him today as an individual. Um, I don't always understand him, but I accept him, and um, I trust he's on his journey the same way I'm on my journey, and we're just trying to learn life as we go. And um, for me. When I'm in his presence, I just try to be present with him and let him know that I care by my actions, by my contact with him, um, visual contact, eye to eye, um, physical contact. You know, um, I listen. I'm a much, much improved in that area of just being a good listener to him. And um, and he's a talker, so <laughs> I do a lot of listening. But that's that's where it is today, and um, and things were I thought going well until he needed this separation time recently, and uh, and I and I can just honor that, you know, I can just mm-hmm. know that that this is something that he needs for himself right now. It's his way to to be completely emancipated in that sense um, and accept that as well and just trust that God's got a plan here and I just need to stand by and do what I know to do um, to just love him. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Thank you, Meredith B. Diane G., your turn. Hi there, uh, this is Diane G., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Canada. And I actually have two questions. Um, one first is for you, Leila. I just admire your um, dedication to the program. And wherever I, what media I attend, you always seem to be the moderator. And I was just wondering, um, do you ever share your story? Because I would love to hear your story. And my second question is, is how do you share? Um, how do you um, 
divide up time between working the program, family, and uh, work community. And on that, I'd like to pass. Well, thank you for your question, Diane. And I certainly look forward to uh, sharing my story um, in the near future. Um, regarding working the program and juggling family and community, um, certainly have a lot to say about that. But our panelists this morning, Penny L.C., Allison L., and Barbara P., are our focus. And uh, so I'm going to toss that question. Thank you again, Diane. I'm going to toss that question to our panelists. Panelists, how do we balance uh, our family life, our community service, and our service to the OA community? How do we do that? Who would like to speak on that this morning? This is Allison. I'll answer that. Please go ahead, Allison. Thank you. Great question, Diane. It's a question certainly all of us ask at different points. And I will answer that by saying I have a basic structure in place of, of what my day looks like each day. Um, so it's getting up at a certain time. It's saying prayers. It's um, taking care of my, myself and my needs first thing in the morning. Um, some phone calls that I do in the morning, sponsors, sponsees. Um, and then from there, you know, there's a basic structure to then I pack my kids' lunches and then, you know, I move on to, you know, my breakfast or, or whatnot. Um, and and keeping, keeping in mind all throughout the day that um, what Step 11 says, that I keep going back to God, please direct my thinking. Show me the next right thought, next right action, help me to make decisions all throughout the day. And each day is a little bit different. There are days when my family needs me more. And there are days when, you know, I do more service to my job or I do more service to a friend or I do more service to OA. And so I really have to be open to God's guidance day by day. And it's a practice, definitely. And then, you know, I close my day every day the same. I do a reading and a writing and I pray for God to help me review my day. And I do the step 11 review at night um, before I go to bed every night. So those are the, the basics. Um, so really, how do I do it is I take it day by day, moment by moment, trusting God. And if a commitment uh, or a question comes up like today, you know, would I be able to share? I talk to my husband and ask, will that work for him? Will he be able to, you know, manage the children while, while I do that? So I don't always make a decision alone. And I talk to my sponsor and ask, and she asks me great questions. Will that interfere with what else, you know, your family commitments, what you're doing? So um, yeah, pausing before I answer sometimes is, is helpful. I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Allison L. Penny or Barbara, did you want to add anything to that? No, I don't think anything on my end. Same as Allison and just that prayer. To, this is Barbara, just to show me. To show me when I'm when I am confused about choices. So try and and then hope the universe responds. That's it. Well said. Thank you. Oh, go ahead, Penny. Thank you. This is Penny. Um, I would just, for me, highlight again how important self care is. Um, service to myself is is just a, a a vital ingredient that that I have to uh, make sure that I'm 
taken care of first and then I'm able to give uh, more to others and I have more bandwidth to go on. Um, and being as a retired in position that I'm in, I have more time to give to my program and uh, and to service within this fellowship. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, but also just making sure that I am meeting my family's obligations and spending time with them um, is important. And I again, all of that has to be weighed and measured and kept in balance. And you know, I can check in with the higher power at any moment throughout the day. God, what would you have me be? And and know that I will be get some clear direction on uh, on the use of my time as I go forward. So I think that's that's my answer. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. And of course, thank you, Diane G, for your questions this morning. Let's move on now to Diane Y. Your question, please. Good morning. Um, this is uh, based on Barbara Sher, but would like to hear from all three of the panelists. Um, Barbara, you said the words, I can cooperate. And um, can you talk more about that, about how do you get to that place um, of cooperation compared to um, what they talk about in the big book, always trying to, to run the show? And it seems like it's so opposite, and what was it like moving into that new way of, of thinking? Did, did you have to struggle to move towards the spirit of cooperation, or did that come easily? Thank you so much for your shares. Oh, I, I love the question. This is Barbara, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say, I, I no, it didn't come easy, and it still doesn't. I still have a nature that tends to question and push and so, it, no, it has happened over time, and I think what the program allowed me to do, the steps allow me to do is notice, first of all, when I start down that path of non-cooperation, of, of pushing, that I'm always pretty sure I'm right and that I know. It, I'll just summarize it as I know. That's, that's my big. So I'm always pretty sure that I know how things should go how people should, what they should be doing, what I should be doing. There's a lot of shoulds in my life. And so I still, to this day, start down that path, notice it, and the difference, the difference, and this has happened over time, I think the steps open my eyes to at least seeing there may be another story, there may be another way to look at this. So quick example, and I think maybe this this um, is helpful, uh, my boss is frequently she just she she's not someone who gets delighted and I would love for someone to be delighted over my work all the time so I'd love to walk in and hear what a great job I did a lot of times I'll walk in she'll ask a question and she kind of has um a, a frown or or just looks annoyed and so that used to be it was just I just was I don't know I wanted it all changed and so on um I came to realize once I could see beyond just me and how that her uh, look affected me, I realized she's got a lot going on in her life. She has a lot of family stuff. So now when I walk into my boss's office, and if she has that, that look, a lot of times at an appropriate moment I'll say, so how are things going at home? And wow, what a different, a lot of times it's, oh, 
you can't believe what, you know, so-and-so did. And I give her time to vent. It's just, I learned a few simple techniques, So, but I had to notice, oh, I'm triggered. I'm thinking, you know, and I'm beginning to push back. How dare she, you know, not be delighted with my work? So I think it's just been practice over time, but the biggest change that came through the steps literally was noticing, oh, I'm starting to feel annoyed. I'm starting to feel entitled. I'm starting to feel something. Maybe that's not the truth of it. And and that's simple, but it, there's been a big practice, and I still practice every day. I usually at least have one ten step, but I, I see it pretty quickly that it's, really not them it's me or me reading a situation so i hope that helps thank you diane Y, for your question who else has a question this morning for our panelists star one to unmute to pose your question veronica c new york veronica Mm Chris B. Chris B. Therese D. in Chicago. Is that Terry C.? Therese D. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Judy N. Judy N. Maryland. And Judy N. Star one to unmute if you'd like to get your name on the list. We'd love to hear your question. Okay, well, let's go forward. Toby W. in Boston. Good morning, Toby. Thank you. Okay, we've got Veronica C., followed by Chris B. Go ahead, Veronica. Veronica C, star one to unmute. How about Chris B? Are you available to pose your question, please? Am I being heard? Hi, this is Chris B. Hey, Chris, go ahead with your question. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I just came back. I'm on day five, I think. Oh, my God, I can't believe it, of uh, abstinence. And um, I haven't flown or traveled since uh, COVID. So we're going on three years here. But I got really, really sick in December, so I, I was especially scared since then to travel. I'm okay now, but <laughs> I was I've been going to all the Scottsdale and um, a Vision for You meetings, and I'm just so excited about the program, and um, 
having a relationship with my higher power again, which I lost. And um, so I wanted to go to this conference that's coming up in um, October, I think, or December, I think, December. And I haven't seen my family. They're all in St. Louis. And I was talking to my niece for a long time yesterday, and I started telling her about going to this conference, which I'm in Florida, so would be traveling. Chris? Yes? In the interest of time, if you could please pose a question. Thank okay. you. My, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, quite I, all right. Go ahead. Why am I ready to run off to New York rather than go visit my family in St. Louis that I've not seen for three years? It's that balancing issue. Okay, thank you. Any of our panelists like to respond to Chris's dilemma? This is Allison. I'll answer that. Allison, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Oh, Chris, thank you for, for bringing your question. This is Allison, Al, South Carolina. Um, so, in the beginning of abstinence, it really is a very um, delicate time of trying to stay abstinent, working the program. And so to me, I can see how you would be more guided by your higher power to go to um, an OA-related event to work on your recovery before going to see your family because your recovery will prepare you to show up um, in the best possible way for your family. That's been my experience. So in my mind, it makes sense that that's how you're feeling guided and pulled at this time to focus on your recovery first. So that's that's what I'm hearing, and I'll pass. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Chris, for your question this morning. I'll circle back to Veronica C. if you're on the line and would like to pose a question. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, I'm I'm here. It's Veronica C. Um, my question is for Barbara, and um, I appreciate all of you this morning. You've all given tremendous um, insight into certain issues that are oftentimes within myself. But Barbara, you talk about uh, making a decision, a conscious decision, that when something is not in the element of love that it's probably not the right situation and uh, not the right um, whatever it is that the action that you want to take, it's probably not in the best interest. And I'd like to know more about how you discern, because I believe that that is God consciousness that we're speaking of. I would like to know how you discern that this is a an act of God that God wants you to follow through with or whether it's your will. How do you make that discernment? Thank you. Uh, great question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's difficult. And I'm not sure I always know. And I think somewhere in the big book it even says we might think we're inspired at times and are not, but we do our best, 
right, is, is my translation. But in that discernment, I take it to a couple of, especially with hard decisions, or um, I, I really do run them by several arenas. One is prayer. I really do <clears throat> ask my higher power for guidance. And someone taught me early on, <laughs> they use the acronym AT&T, ask thank and trust what I truly try and believe that once I have prayed, it's done. It's been given to me. Like, in other words, whatever, whichever direction I go from there is God's will and, and or will be used in some way for God's will. So in other words, in that tapestry, even if I tie the wrong knot, it will be okay. Somehow it'll weave that picture maybe a little differently, but still in a way that's wonderful. So prayer is my first go-to. I think my second, though, is other people. And I don't look for advice, so to speak, but I do look for experience. I do look for other fellows because I also don't want to just depend on my broken brain. <clears throat> so I like to do, whether it's in the form of 10 steps or just working with others who, you know, often have good messages for me. So I don't try and do it totally alone. Um, I think those are my two main go-tos. I'll do some prayer. And lately I've been trying this kind of two-way writing where, you know, I write sort of a dear higher power letter and, and then higher power writes back. I'm sort of surprised. I'm always surprised when these things work, but it's kind of interesting. So even if I'm making it up, I'm, I'm getting some good guidance there. But yeah, I think we just do our best. But that that practice of trust also, like that I can't do anything wrong. And again, I'll just give you a quick quick you know, example, I, my mom now is home with hospice and I do her meds and I am scared, just scared that I will mess these things up. I mean, this is life or death, basically. But, you know, I have to ask, I have to thank, I was guided to bring her home and I'm going to trust that I'm just not that powerful, that I will be done and it will. The minute I say that, it's done. It, it's a hard one. It's practice. You know, and I practice it still every day. So thanks for the question, though. That's great. Others may have thoughts on it, too, in terms of living in this way of life. Yes, thank you, Veronica C., for your question. Appreciate that. Moving on to Terry B., am I getting that right, from Chicago. Terry B, Terry C, somebody from Chicago. Can can you can I be heard? Yes. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize I had to unmute or remute, unmute again. This is Therese, like Teresa, but with an E. D Wonderful. as a dog. Thank and, you. Thanks for the clarification. No problem. Go ahead, Therese. Sure thing. Um, so I am a compulsive overeater, bulimic, recovering early on in recovery. This question is really for any of the panelists. Thank you so much for your shares. Um, what would you say were the three like most important, most imperative things that you did early on in recovery to keep you showing up and doing, you know, what's asked of you despite any fears or, you know, wanting to kind of control? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Three most important things that you did. <laughs> Let's start off with Penny. I'll see what comes to mind as your three most important actions. 
Yeah, I was just unmuting. I didn't hear what, who you called, please. Go ahead, Penny. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, I think uh, what I would what I would say um, is to first of all keep things as simple as possible in my life, and that's not always easy because life is full and life is full speed ahead. Um, but to try to simplify things as much as possible to make sure that my um, my food and my uh, program, which go hand in hand, are my priority. And that is really hard because it sounds like you have a young family in the background, I think I heard. But um, it, I still have to know that, well, here's my analogy. I used to give from a cup and I would drain that cup dry trying to give to others. And yet I had nothing for myself. And today I know that I have to fill my cup to overflowing. And then I can give from the overflow. And that's when I can give from the heart. So really it's filling my cup first and and then giving to others. And like I said, I know that's hard with a young family. But um, truly it it does need to be a priority for yourself. Um, just trusting and relying, staying close to fellows that you feel like you are um, connected to, um, making those connection calls, staying in the solution, you know, doing the phone calling, doing reading and writing um, as much as you can to stay connected. And of course, prayer and meditation time. And again, that's a hard one for, for young moms, but um, to be able to stop at the beginning of your day before anything happens and to take your um, your moment to, to just connect with God or your higher power, I should say, um, that can start my whole day in a different direction no matter where I am in my life. And I think that's what I would share. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Allison, did you want to voice your thoughts on that as well? Yes, please. <laughs> Allison L., South Carolina. Um, I like what Penny said about keeping it very simple in the beginning. Um, and I, I am a young mom, I, a mom of young kids. I wouldn't say I'm super young, but I have three boys. And so I've been working my program. And the first year was the hardest because I was trying to reprioritize my life instead of caring for them first. It was, okay, well, I have to prioritize you said three things, abstinence, meetings, and phone calls with program people. Those are the three things that kept me going. I listened to Vision for You every day when I was in the beginning. Um, I made phone calls every day and was honest with people about where I was, and uh, my abstinence had to be there. Um, those were the three that I would put in the top. So, And I would listen to Vision for You with uh, an earbud in while I was getting my kids ready for school. There's always a way if I want to do something. So, um, and it was hard at that time and it felt selfish, but now I'm able to give my kids my full present attention. I couldn't do that before I was in recovery. So those are my top three and I'll pass the thought. Thank you, Allison. And Barbara P., how about your top three? Yeah, what an awesome question. I would say calls. And the one trick that I learned as well was really when I didn't have time, I'd still make calls. But I'd, I'd tell people up front, hey, I only have five minutes. And I really would do 
you know, even a two-minute call, just knowing it was my effort. Um, Same with podcasts, like in addition to meetings, a lot of times just for support for me, but I could be listening to podcasts while I'm doing other things, like Allison mentioned. And I think also just a lot of times practicing that, flexing that muscle about doing things I didn't want to do. Um, it, It was a, actually what it flexed was the muscle of trusting a higher power, so, you know, I think anytime I didn't want to go to a meeting, I would I would go to a meeting, you know, those kind of things. Food-wise, just keeping it simple and shopping, making sure I had the right things in the house. That was that was big in the beginning, too. You know, it just didn't leave me room to set up for any problems. So that would be mine. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks, panelists. Thank you, Therese, for the question. Moving on now, Judy N., from Maryland. Your question, please. Good morning. My question, first I'd like to say that uh, this topic, nothing changes, is if nothing changes. And uh, I am on day 67 of abstinence, and I am, I feel change, but I still um, yearn for this more, more change more change in my personality and the results of of this change in personal relationships with my family, with my children. But so I love this topic and all the all the fellows that shared where I took so many notes. But my question deals with sponsorship. And um I'm at that point where uh I'm ready to sponsor and it would be the first time I've sponsored. My question is, and I, I know because of time, can you, I've done my work, but I'm just wondering, everyone said to me, not everyone, someone said, sponsor the way you were sponsored. Doesn't seem to be that easy for me. So I have a lot of resources. I've looked through things, done my reading. I have my little, a little notebook. Somebody said, you're making it too difficult. It, keep it simple. Please just give me your top three suggestions for sponsoring. And if I could hear from all three panelists, that would be great. Thank you. Okay, we've got another top three. Top three regarding sponsorship. Let's start from the top with Penny LC. Thank you for the question. Um, I'm not. I'm not being given an answer to pass on right at the top. Um, I would say that really, as long as you are willing and that you are um, connected to your higher power, your higher power will provide what you need to pass on to another. You have the experience, strength, and hope that you can share. You've lived in the solution. That means you know something that that person that you're helping um, doesn't know and and will benefit from hearing from you. So I think it's really just trust. Trust your higher power will lead you, and you will know. And it's and it's um, it's pretty organic. Um, it's not something that's that uh, is um, by the numbers of so much as ac- an academic as much as it is. Just give from your heart, and it will be the right giving. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Allison L., do you have three ideas regarding sponsorship? 
Yes, let me boil it down. Uh, let's see. Um, so for me, I try to remember that God, my higher power, their higher power, is actually the one directing their recovery. So I can show up and bring my experience and the directions in the big book. That's it. If I can keep it that simple, and as far as the logistics, start at the beginning of the big book and um, start with abstinence and um, remembering that I'm just bringing my experience, strength, and hope and the directions in the book. That's what I have to offer. If they need help with something I don't have experience with, there's a whole fellowship. There's a bunch of podcasts. There are other sources and resources. That's it. Thank you, Allison. And Barbara P., three thoughts on sponsorship. Yeah, trying to think of some things that are different. Uh, Penny and Allison shared some good things, really good things. You know, all I need is my story, my experience. That's really all I have to come in with. Um, I did start right where I was, the way I was sponsored, and now I find I do it a little differently with each person too. Um, the other concept that was given to me, that extremely helpful, was we're just holding a flashlight. Truly, someone's on their own path. I've just walked down it, but it does not mean I know whether they should make a left or a right. So I'm just holding the flashlight. Another practical thing I'll just share is that I just, I set times that work for me. I set boundaries that work for me. I really do think about it sponsoring as what works for me because otherwise I end up with resentments and stuff like that. Like it is service, but it also, I got to remember, I'm, I get more even than the person who I'm working with. We're there with each other, but it has to work for me. So on the practical side, just think about what works. You know, we talked a lot about balance. So balance, what, what, when, where, and how that's going to work. And start with one and just get started. All, all we need is our story. That's it. Thank you, Barbara. And, of course, thank you, Judy N., for your question. Our final question for this morning comes from Toby W., Good morning, and thank you for um, the three great uh, shares. Um, This is Toby W. from Boston. And what I really want to ask is finding your higher power and hanging on to your higher power. I have a lot of physical issues, and I don't feel that there is a higher power in my life right now. So I'd like to hear from all three panelists how they found their higher power and how they were able to keep their higher power. Okay. Finding and keeping the connection with a higher power, uh, in a nutshell, I suppose, starting with Penny L.C., Thank you, Toby, for your question. Um, I know that as I shared it a bit in my in my uh, earlier talk, I had to trade my higher power in. You know, I didn't have one that worked for me. And the beautiful part is that we get to have the higher power of our own conception. So you are free. I was free to, to choose what worked for me what I needed from a higher power. And I needed a higher power that I knew I could trust because I had, uh, you know, insecurity issues. 
from um, from years in my uh, all of my life, and um, hence the control that that came as a result, um, needing to control things. But um, I needed to just explore, and I did things like uh, the simple things you hear about, you know, write a um, write a want ad for your higher power, and and truly write everything you want. And then just claim that as yours. Um, I've also heard it said that you can write a resume um, of what you would want to receive from a higher power that was applying for the job and all that they would put out there for you and offer their services to you. But then how do you keep that? It's daily. It's momentary. You know, I need to stay connected to my higher power 24-7. And I know my higher power is always there for me. It's me that usually gets distracted. So I just need to be sure that I'm staying in touch. And I can do that through prayer. I can do that through praise. I can do that through quiet meditation. I can do that through a, a gentle walk in the woods. Whatever it is that keeps me connected is what I will do. All of those things in, um, in different at different times, um, and just trust trust that you will find what you need. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Penny. I'll see Allison. Did you want to offer your three thoughts on finding and keeping a higher power? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Finding and keeping a higher power. Um, something that helps me is to um, have one simple phrase that brings me back to the awareness and knowledge of my higher power. So for me, it's nothing and no one separates me from the love of God. That reminds me that God is there regardless of whether I feel God or not, and regardless of whatever's happening around me, whatever anybody else is doing, whatever anybody else is saying, no matter what I've done or what I've said. Nothing and no one separates me from the love of God. Uh, remembering for me that God is not a feeling, that a lot of times I don't feel God, but I trust anyway. I have faith that there's a God. There's a higher power at work. Whether I believe it or don't believe it, whether I feel it or don't feel it, it just is. It just is a fact. And then reminding myself that I've decided to go to any length for spiritual experience and for recovery and for relationship with my higher power. A lot of times, what my higher power guides me to do or um, who to be in the world is uh, uncomfortable. Uh, it's making hard choices and living in a way that isn't mainstream all the time. And that's not always easy. So reminding myself I'm, I'm still willing and I'll pass it out. Thank you, Allison. And Barbara P., three thoughts yeah. on finding and keeping a higher power. Yeah, so finding a higher power, and I still sometimes will do this, but literally, because I did not start with one, I looked in the mirror. I tell you, you can do this. This I, To me, this it, it was great. I looked in the mirror, and I just started talking, and the first conversation I had with my higher power was, I am sure you're not here, and this is completely ridiculous, and I'm completely talking to myself. And I would look around and make sure no one saw me, because <laughs> I thought they're, my family's going to think, I am insane. But that's where it started, and it can start there on any given day if I need it to. Just 
just talking, just beginning a conversation as I would with anyone I want to develop a relationship with. Keeping it, I think Penny really said it, it's momentary. I like visuals, so I'll visualize sometimes if I need to. If When I'm feeling really alone, I think that's what you're asking about, Toby. You know, in, at those times when I feel alone, I'll envision kind of walking hand in hand, just that visual. And a lot of times it's a child and an adult. I don't think of my higher power that way, but that's the visual. The walking hand in hand, sometimes um, just recently, I was feeling really alone and I called a fellow and she said she was sending over her guardian angel, right? It's not my higher power, but she said her guardian angel with wings and he was going to stand behind me and wrap his wings around me and just surround me. It was such a beautiful gift. Uh, And then often I'll take a spiritual walk and just have a talk. And sometimes that talk is me yelling at a higher power. But I mean, this is just... It's a relationship, and I just show up, I talk, even when I feel disconnected. So it's it's moment to moment. Uh, I think that's all we can do. It comes and it goes. But I do feel surrounded when I need to, and all I have to do is decide to feel surrounded. It's kind of a decision, too, it strikes me. It's a choice. Uh, it's a choice. So anyway, I'll pass. Thank you, Toby W., for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our three panelists, Penny L.C., Allison L., Barbara P. Thank you for your beautiful presentations this morning and offering so much of yourselves in sharing your personal experience and personal insights on this transformation process as a result of the 12 steps. Thank you so much for all you've given this morning. Again, the share ID, 19,420. That's 19420. And we're going to close now from page 164. You'll notice it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. Indeed, after the recording, yes. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.